Thank you for listening to Therapy for Guys. My name is Kike Autry, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Katy, Texas. In this podcast, I want to explore the issues that men stay silent about, our struggles with anxiety and depression, our relationship issues, obstacles that we face with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism or OCD, and our big existential crises, those related to spirituality and religion, to larger cultural realities, and to the question of the meaning of life. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to learn more about me, I would encourage you to check out my website. You can find it at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. And as always, remember, continue the conversation. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Paul Randall. Paul is the community care pastor at Ecclesia. He's also an avid fly fisherman and a poet. In this episode, we talk about so many things, including Paul's passion for fly fishing, how he understands fly fishing as a spiritual or a religious endeavor. Uh, we talk about religion in general. We explore poetry, nature, and so much more. If you're really interested in learning more about Paul or if you'd like to connect with him, he has a wonderful Instagram account where you can find the ties that he makes for his fly fishing. Uh, you can go to Paul Ties Flies on Instagram, you'll find him, or you can check out his awesome blog at sacredpigeons.com. Uh, this was a really fun conversation. It was great to connect with an old friend. Uh, we haven't seen each other in many years. It's awesome to catch up and to hear about what he was up to. And I know that my perspective was challenged and enlarged as it always is on this podcast. I'm so grateful for the many conversations I have with a, a wide range of different people and perspectives. Uh, that is one of my life goals and philosophies to always remain a student, to learn and grow and be challenged by others and their viewpoints. So I hope that you also had that same experience, 
that you learned something new, that you were challenged by something. Maybe you can see fly fishing and religion in a different way after this conversation. I'm always saying that I want to encourage people to go out and to have conversations with others, whether it's a formal group or you're just hanging out with a friend at a coffee shop or a bar. Uh, This is where it's at. This is where true life is found. I think this is ultimately what spirituality and religion is about. It's about reconnecting. It's about going deep. It's about experiencing vulnerability and intimacy in these safe, sacred relationships. And so I want to encourage you to go out and have a conversation with someone. Talk about some of these ideas. Challenge yourself. Challenge someone else. On a personal note, I would love it if you could go to the Apple Podcast app and there find Therapy for Guys and leave me not just a rating but a positive review. Those reviews are helpful in allowing people to get a sense of what this podcast is all about. And if it's been meaningful to you, I think it could be meaningful to someone else as well. If you're on social media or if you just communicate with your friends and family, please share my content, tell someone about this podcast, and as always, continue the conversation. So, Paul, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast, Therapy for Guys, for driving all the way down from Houston here to Katy. It is really cool to see you after so many years, and I'm really excited about connecting and having this conversation with you. Well, I'm honored. I was uh, truly flattered and honored when you reached out. Uh, It's been a few months now since we've been trying to get together. I know, but, but, but I'm, I'm glad we finally made it work. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I was, I was honored. And then I started listening to your podcast when you invited me to be on here and, and it's been, uh, it's been cool, man. I really like your work. You're doing awesome stuff with this. I, I appreciate that. Okay. So, so Paul, for the listeners, can you just provide a, a sketch of kind of who you are, what you're up to professionally, maybe some of your interests, And then from there, we can kind of jump into this conversation around fly fishing and religion and nature and wherever else, you know, we, we go with that. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a husband, uh, 25 years now to Jen and father of three. We've got a 12th grader, a ninth grader and a fourth grader. So wow. Life is very full. And I love that range. Yeah, it's a good range. We've got uh, college applications going on right now and scholarship applications. All of that is uh, full bore, but the are, lot, are, are, you, are you able to say kind of where they're looking at? Well, she's got a good list. Um, right now, UT is at the top of the list. Nice. And so we'll see 
where she lands. But um, there's a lot of a lot of great options for sure, and she has set herself up well to um, you know get into um, a lot of places. So she'll have options. And That's it's, awesome. It's exciting. D- does she know what she wants to pursue? She's looking at film right now. Oh man, she I hear UT is a great school for that. Uh, exactly, exactly. So she has been at the high school for the performing and visual arts downtown. Oh yeah, yeah. In the theater department, and she has loved um, that whole storytelling world. And live theater has been awesome. But um, looking looking a little more towards film. So we'll see. I'm I'm as interested as anybody to see where this journey takes her. Got you. And then, and then your youngest is in fourth grade. Exactly. Wow. So yeah, uh, ninth grader and fourth grader as well. So and those two are boys, and so okay. they are uh, a lot of fun. And we got, you know, I'm playing ultimate frisbee on Saturdays with my ninth grader, which is awesome for me and for him. And then you know Sam is into all kinds of stuff, soccer and a lot of stuff too. So there's a lot of action at our house, and it's a lot of fun these days. Oh, I bet, man. Yeah, we 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 have four total. We're a blended family, and we're just always going, going, going. It's crazy if we have a moment to ourselves or just a moment to just relax with work and everything. So totally. And, you know, today here out driving out to Katie, we've had this day on the calendar for, you know, a couple months. And and I was like going to drive out here and go fishing at this spot in Katie that I've heard about that I want to fish. And then it's like, oh, wait, my son's got exams and he gets out at 11 and I'm going to have to pick him up from school. <laughs> oh, and now yeah. when we leave here, I got to go drive something to take it to my daughter who's still at school. And it's like. The, the you know the the window it just keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower so and dude it I, never I'm not ends get the fish out here in Katy on this oh. on this trip but it's man I'm good. sorry to hear that but 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 I'm I'm glad you're kind of like honoring your your other responsibilities where where's the place in Katy where where you've heard about the good fishing well we can't burn the spot on the podcast ah, got you I'll, I'll, okay I'll, I'll set you You'll, up uh, offline okay I appreciate that I'm not I'm not a spot burner, Kike. Okay, good my, good. my fishing buddies who actually listen to this will will appreciate that. Okay, no, so maybe we can get into kind of the sacredness of that in a moment. <laughs> so okay, I'm 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 glad that you kind of started by framing yourself relationally. You know, you're a you're a husband, you're a father. What about in terms of kind of what you do for a living? Even though I kind of struggle with that way of putting it, like your vocation, maybe. Yeah, sure. So I get to serve as a community care pastor at Ecclesia Houston at our downtown campus. Yeah. And it is a really beautiful gig for me. I mean, I frankly, uh, I love it. This community, our, our family's been part of this church for about 20 years. And so these are, these are my people and I really love getting to use my gifts and serve that community. And I basically get to do this. Like I get to <laughs> sit with people mm. and I mean, not on, with recording on, but, <laughs> but I, I get to sit with people and uh, just engage their stories, walk with people through crisis, uh, whether it's, you know, relational crises or bereavement, grief, uh, preparation for marriage. I get to mm. do a lot of weddings, uh, a few funerals, you know, we used to do hospital visits before COVID. Okay. And, you know, they don't let visitors at the hospitals as much anymore, but, um, but all of that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, I feel like I've got the best job in the building. Like I get to, mm. um, I get to be with people all week. There's other people taking care of a lot of the administrative and even the, the big scale teaching opportunities. So, uh, I get to, I get to do this and I yeah. love it. And so in many ways I get, to, I feel like I get to, be myself kind of with and for the community in ways mm. that are a gift, hopefully to the community, but certainly to me as well. Wow. So in some ways you're like with people from birth to death. Exactly. That's you know, exactly and, it. And all the various Everything stages. from, you know, yeah. baptism, dedication, which we offer both at our church and all the way through certainly, you know, weddings, funerals, all of that. 
and um and and again i i, I love it like mm. i i really love coming alongside people and journeying with them in, in whatever they're facing right for some people it's just a mentoring kind of thing sure. for others it's it, they're wrestling with you know deconstruction or disillusionment or theological questions or for other people it's uh, a question of you know bereavement grief i find yeah. myself talking about grief a lot and so oh it, i bet it's um but but it's it's real, you know, like mm. we sit, I mean, you're, you're a therapist, right? Like yeah. you sit with people and it's such an honor when people can be vulnerable and open their hearts up and share it. I mean, I receive it as a sacred trust You know, people are always thanking me and I'm like, no, thank you actually, because like, this is beautiful what's happening here. And I'm just honored that you would invite me into your story in, in those sacred and intimate ways. Yeah, no, that's so good. You know, at one point when I was doing some of my early therapeutic work, I, I worked with a psychiatrist who, you know, they're, they're a little bit different and that they can prescribe medication at this point. They don't spend that much time with the person. It's, it's actually kind of sh- short term and they only have like maybe 30 minutes with them. But she would always end with, you know, I'm so grateful for you and your time and your willingness to open yourself up in these vulnerable ways. And so I've kind of taken that on myself, just like you're saying, every client when I end, it's always, man, that was a gift to me. Um, I, I know how hard it is to open up and be vulnerable and sort of expose yourself to another human being. So I'm, I'm proud of you. And, and that was amazing. So thank you. Totally. Yeah. I love that spirit, Paul. And that's, you know, it's also the avenue to their healing, right? Like the vulnerability is going to be the way to oh my gosh. come against most of the things that people are dealing with. And it's when we, you know, the shame tries to keep us isolated, keep us separate. And in when we're vulnerable and we open ourselves up, that's actually where the healing happens. Oh, you know? so man. I'm, I'm telling speaking people my language. The, I love I that. And I tell people all the time, like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. And I'm very quick to refer to mental health professionals when needed. Um, but, you know, when it's appropriate. What I really love is, like, walking alongside people who also have a therapist. And yeah. I'm just, like, part of the care team for them. Um, but, you know, some people don't need that like they need sure. they need a pastor or they need uh, just someone to come alongside and that's just the image that I love that kind of biblical image of coming alongside that I try to hold yeah no I love that you know I I would even say this may get a little controversial for some people in the therapy world not everyone can afford quality therapy totally you know um I mean I'm fortunate fortunate enough to work at a practice personally where we don't take insurance which is great for us financially and we can have a lot of freedom and the the theories and the interventions that we use. We're not bound by these huge corporations or insurance companies. And that's a real like positive. The negative is I, I, I have to turn down quite a few people that would like to work with me and other therapists at our office and either send them to someone who takes insurance, which can sometimes not be the best. I, I don't want to make a blanket statement about that. There's I'm sure some great therapists who take insurance. But I, I appreciate individuals like yourself, whether it's a pastor or like a spiritual director or just a mentor who can provide some space and structure for someone who may not be able to go through therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned spiritual direction. I'm actually uh, in a spiritual direction training program right now. Nice. So I, I'm excited about that. It's, I'm about uh, about six months into my program. It'll be about two and a half years total, but... It's uh, it's another exciting direction that I'm heading in. So maybe you could kind of help me understand this. I have a client who um, is in the Roman Catholic tradition, might be a priest one day, and he was telling me a little bit about his experience with spiritual direction 
in distinction from the sort of psychotherapy that we've been doing, he really values both. But I'm curious, from your understanding of therapy and then spiritual direction, what do you see as some of the differences between the two? Well, I think spiritual, you know, often therapy is going to be focused on our relationship either to ourself or to another person, you know, like it's very often very earthly. And I think sure. spiritual direction offers an opportunity to work on our relationship with God. Okay. And so, or on our spirit. And so there's certainly value in both. And, I, but I think there's like, we have to be clear on what, what is our objective here? Yeah. You know? And so for me, as I move towards spiritual direction, I think of it in terms of being an invitation to sit with people in a contemplative way in order to kind of cultivate ears to hear and eyes to see so that we can hold space and listen to the true spiritual director, which is the Holy Spirit, right? Like I'm not the director. <laughs> the real director yeah, is God. I like that. And and so we're just trying to hold space for people to have those conversations and then invite them with questions. So, I mean, as you know, spiritual direction is a lot less of me talking than it is even what I do in kind of pastoral care, right? Sure. Like I feel there's a lot more give and take with pastoral care. Spiritual direction is going to be a lot more even like, what is this, you know, inviting people to listen to God? What is the Spirit mm. telling you about that? Or as you, as an interesting image, you, you know, you've, you're going to be curious, you're going to chase threads the same way that you would in therapy, the same way that I would in pastoral care. Gotcha. Where you really hear what people are saying and, and you, you know, you, you pursue their desires, you pursue their heart kind of through what they're bringing to it. But it's also going to be in the context of how, what is God saying to your heart in the midst of that journey? Or have you, you, know, have you listened for that voice? Have you listened to what God's saying in, in whatever you're wrestling with? Because often gotcha. they're going to be bringing similar struggles, right? Sure, sure. So, no, okay. No, that's a helpful distinction. I, I appreciate you kind of unpacking that a little bit. So, okay, Paul, you know, one of the things that I found out about you when I was doing a little bit of research was you kind of you kind of had this list out there of what some of your favorite books were through the COVID period. And, and I think one of the connections to our conversation today is, you know, I know I want to get into your understanding of fly fishing and religion and, and nature. And, and one of the books that you highlighted that you really enjoyed was Mary Oliver's collection of poems entitled Thirst. And I brought it with me, by the way. Oh, amazing. So I, I wanted to start by just asking you, you know, of all the books you could have chosen, why, why that one? You know, maybe you could unpack some of the personal significance. And then I had a couple poems that I read this week from that collection that I wanted to just kind of read here, you know, today on this episode, and then just give you an opportunity to kind of just reflect on what you think it means. Sounds great. Okay. I'm definitely a, awesome. a big fan of Mary Oliver. I am too. I think she's one of my favorite poets. For sure. For me too. And, you know, occasionally I will write some poetry myself. And it, Yeah, and I saw that. It's in the... Uh, Mary Oliver would be in, in the, the kind of style of poetry that I think that I, I'm trying to do, if that makes any sense. Like, 100%. What, what she does is she just goes on a walk. And and she would do it like every day. I mean, she was walking outside like every day of her life. And she's just looking around and observing mm. the world and is encountering some really profound and deep truths. Absolutely. But she's accessing them through these moments that are like, she just writes about a moment, right? Like geese flying overhead or, or whatever it may be, just walking to the pond. Mm. And then those are the places where 
in just sort of being super present to the creation, like she is encountering the divine mm. or, or some deep thing within herself or, or just something hilarious and profound and will make you laugh out loud. Like <laughs> she, you know, she's real earthy, yeah, but she's just encountering God everywhere she looks. And um, to me, that's just a model that I want to follow. Oh, I love that. So what do you think she meant by the concept thirst? Because I kind of see that as a, as, a, as a spiritual, religious, deeply human reality. And, and I'm just curious kind of what you think about why she would entitle this collection Thirst. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to be looking up this poem while you kind of reflect on that. Okay, well, this particular poem, and just for some context for those sure. who, who don't know, I mean, well, this whole collection of poems is her processing her grief mm. after her life partner died. Um, she was uh, a partner with Molly Malone Cook for over 40 years. And after Molly's death, like this, these, these were like the poems that poured out of her in her season of grief. Gotcha. And so, again, I talked about grief earlier. Yeah. Like I, I, I really resonated with this particular. I mean, I love all of her books, volumes of poetry that I've read. I haven't read them all, but everything I'm like, Every time I open one up, I mean, it's just my heart just cries, yes, yes, mm. yes, to that. And this one is entitled Thirst, which I think was the title of this poem that we're going to talk about. Yes. And she is, so the first line of this alludes to her grief, right? Like the loss of her partner. So you, you want me to just read it? Please. I, I feel like that's the only, yeah. way, the only way to do this any justice. I, I, I think that's the only way to do it. No, please do. I would love that. And I'm, I'll, I'll just be following along on my iPad. So, this is Thirst by Mary Oliver. Another morning, and I wake with thirst for the goodness I do not have. I walk out to the pond, and all the way God has given us such beautiful lessons. O Lord, I was never a quick scholar, but sulked and hunched over my books past the hour and the bell. Grant me, in your mercy, a little more time. Love for the earth and love for you are having such a long conversation in my heart. Who knows what will finally happen or where I will be sent. Yet already I have given a great many things away, expecting to be told to pack nothing, except the prayers which, with this thirst, I am slowly learning. That's absolutely beautiful. Man, I love that. So, okay, man, there's so much that I want to ask you about. Maybe we can kind of break it down. But I think I want to start with the question that I that I threw out there a moment ago before you read it, before you gave us that beautiful introduction to Mary Oliver. What do you think she means by thirst? Well, I think in this case, it's a very real yearning. Like, it's a grief. Like, I think she's talking about, when I wake with the thirst for the goodness I do not have, I think she's talking about, like, my partner is not next to me. Mm. And so this goodness I do not have, I, I think this is a, a poem about grief. Mm. and and yet this thirst right it's like she's yearning for it right like it's something like i've tasted it before and and i need another drink of it and i'm thirsty i'm yearning for it and so i i think in this particular case i think i think this is a grief a yearning for her her beloved mm. and and so she's but in the outworking of her grief like you know this very last line she says except the prayers which with this thirst I am slowly learning. So what's interesting in this whole volume of poetry is like she's like reconnecting to God in her grief journey mm. as she's and she's very 
very profoundly grieving this this life partner who's who's gone and that is drawing her heart through to God and she's seeing God I mean like she says you know I walk out to the pond and God's given us beautiful lessons like she's seeing God in in the creation like all around her and that is allowing her the space to process her grief and to bring it to God and to engage with a God who loves her even with all her questions I mean again mm. it, and by the way, she's just honest. That's the other thing I love about Mary Oliver right. is she's just honest about like there's so much mystery to this life, to the spiritual life, to God, and she doesn't like pretend to have any answers, and that's what makes her so accessible is because she's actually real. Yes, absolutely. So that that's what you know she's wrestling even in this whole poem about like, look, I I don't get all this. Like I'm a slow learner, but I feel like God is teaching me some things and showing me some things in and through my thirst, my grief, my yearning, mm. and through my connection to the earth. And so, like, I love that line, you know, love for the earth and love for you are having such a long conversation in my heart. I love that line. I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's what, that's been my experience, right? Like, every time I get outside, even in the city, right? Even in, you know, we live in, I live in Houston. Like, yeah, we don't have mountains here. Sadly. But, <laughs> but there's beauty right in the heart of the city. I mean, mm. like a butterfly will zip by or a pigeon or like a dragonfly and it will be a little flash of beauty that calls to my heart and opens me up, you know, again, right in the midst of the concrete jungle. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I was talking with this about a client the other day. He'd been spending time just walking around um, just downtown, you know, just kind of wrestling with his own battle with depression and in a, in a way that was very powerful, he had lately been struck by, and this was his language, the beauty of the faces of some of these homeless men that he had gotten to know. And, and he's not a religious person. Um, I think he's seeking and, and, and trying to figure out what life's all about, but I, I don't think he had ever really spent much time around people in that state, you know, in that set of conditions, but he was reflecting on how they could experience a level of joy and just satisfaction with their situation in a way that he couldn't. And it was beautiful to him. Yeah. And I mean, we have some pretty profound biblical images about, you know, engaging someone like whenever you bring mm. a cup of cold water to someone like you've brought it to me, right? Well, in that transaction, for lack of a better word, like sure. in that engagement, like the person being served is Jesus. Like that's where Jesus is showing up there, not in the server, right? Yeah. Not, not like you. So, so he's going down and meeting people on the street. He's meeting Jesus. Mm. Like this is the face of Jesus. And if that's he's, powerful. if he's offering them anything, like they're offering him Jesus. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, too many of us in helper roles, like we think that we're the one bringing God to the equation or to the relationship. And, and I think Jesus says clearly, no, the one being served is actually showing up as me. Yeah, right. No, I love that. And so that that's where mutuality is so vital in our in any of our relationships, whether mm. it's you know, therapeutic, pastoral, you know, in our homes, right? Like, there's mutuality is the the key to anything because we're gonna meet we're gonna meet and encounter God in and through each other. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly how I see things. That's that's beautiful, Paul. Yeah. And we're going to encounter God in and through creation, which is kind of where we got, you know, the Mary Oliver was taking us. Sure. And and that's what my experience is with um, getting outside, which is why I love, you know, 
everything from fishing to birding to just going on a hike, paddling, whatever I can do to get outside, I'm going to do it and it's going to be good for my soul. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more that, that we have this encounter with the divine, with the sacred when we're in nature. You know, one thing I do wrestle with sometimes though is I think when a part of me reflects on doing that, it's always kind of this idyllic, you know, there's, there's sunshine and, and maybe mountains or there's, there's the grass, or there's a beautiful placid lake. Do you think it's possible to encounter the sacred in nature in things like natural disasters or, 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 or some of the things that we see, you know, in the animal kingdom, like predation and the stuff that doesn't seem like Disney-fied? <laughs> totally. Well, to speak to the predation, I remember somebody saying one time, uh, any, anything eating something else is really cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think predation is awesome, right? So, like, I remember, you know, watching with my son when he was, like, four years old and we saw this, like, yellow-crowned night heron catch a crawfish. Oh, my and gosh. Like, and it, it would, like, throw it up in the air, it would grab it by the claw, it would shake it, it would break the claw off, it would fall to the ground, he'd pick it up again, do the same thing. He broke the claws off, then ate the crawfish and, and ate the claws. And, I mean, you know, we were like 20 feet away just watching this in awe. I mean, it was awesome. I was right? going to say, like, I would be fascinated, like, on, on the one hand, maybe terrified, but also fascinated by that. Yeah. And, what a powerful experience. Yeah. Man. And so, again, I mean, cycle of life, like, you know, maybe predation can be bloody, right? If you're watching, like, a lion eat an impala or something. But it, it's also, like, profound and 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 awesome. So I, I think it's great. But to go to your question about natural disasters, obviously those are not awesome. They're um, too often tragic. And, mm. and, and that's the mystery, right? Like I, I'm not going to pretend to come with, you know, some answers about that. Sure. I think that we, we wrestle with these things and we, we wrestle to understand, you know, what is the role of God in those things and why do some people's homes flood and others don't, you know, my, my street, Flooded up and drained three times. Wow. Right? And the during Harvey the, during Harvey the water came up halfway to my house and it drained all the way down and it did that three times. Well, if it hadn't drained the first time, my house would have flooded. Right? Mm. But why is it that you know a hundred thousand houses in Houston flood and mine didn't? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to like claim any kind of superiority or any sure. kind of like I didn't deserve that. You've been living a holy life, right. Paul. So no, that's why that's no, that's crazy, point, right? right? And and so many of my friends and and you know my family members their houses flooded so how do we understand this i'm not gonna presume to wrap wrap my mind around that but i do i will say that even when when tragedy strikes and when when trauma strikes like i think god grieves it with us Mm. and i think god's like the first one on the scene like coming alongside to offer love and care often through other people i mean again people have to show up and like help you muck out your house or, or help you heal from trauma or whatever it may sure. be. Um, I think that I see the hand of God in the healing process that happens and in the ways that, you know, our whole city came together after Harvey, right, in mm. some profound ways. Oh, Neighbors yeah. that didn't even know each other, they're out there sharing food and, you know, coming alongside and, like, mucking out houses of people, total strangers, right? Like, we all just came together in some profound ways that couldn't have happened otherwise. And I'm not saying... I'm, please don't hear me say like God did that. So we would all sure grow closer together. No, I'm not saying that at all, but I do think that God is laced in and through the healing and the transformation uh, that comes out of those places of tragedy. And trauma. yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You know, 
I, I wouldn't want to build a whole philosophy or theology around this statement, but I think going back to the natural disasters reality and, and, and the stuff in nature that seems so violent and, and just kind of scary, how that could be an encounter with the divine, at least for me lately, it's it's been an experience of the divine as other or just mysterious or just powerful in, in a way that maybe puts my ego in check a little bit. You know, I, I go back to Rudolf Otto's idea of the holy as something that's both terrifying and something that draws you in and that that pulls you in in this beautiful way. But it's both, right? The sacred has an element to it that can't be put in a box or given an explanation or controlled. It's, it's it's wild it in is. some ways, right? And and if it's not, then we're not talking about God. Exactly. Right. Like I I I refuse. That, this is why I actually love mystery when it comes to that. Like when the questions come to me about why and the big picture questions that, by the way, people have been wrestling with for thousands of years. So like why we, you know, any of us who presume we're going to solve it in this year after people have been dealing right. with this for, for three thousand. You I mean we read the scriptures like this is a question that's been around for three thousand years. Yeah. So the that's the but the mystery to me just actually points to the fact that okay, we're not talking about something of a human creation. Mm. Like we actually are not the ones who can wrap our minds around this. Like we're actually the ones in awe of it. Like we're actually the ones uh, like, like in some ways submitting to it. And again, that's language many people won't like, but like this idea that we're, um, we're not the creator, right? Like we're actually the creation. And, and I have no problem with that. Like I actually am comforted by that mm. because, you know, as we talk about the, the power and the, the awe of God, the wonder, there's also, I think, an intimacy. Like I actually believe mm. that undergirding all of this is love, right? So I get that there's natural disasters and, and you know, some really hard stuff and sure. the, the news is awful all around us every day. I get that. But I also believe that like the truest thing about any of us is that we are loved yeah i love that so that, <laughs> no that's no pun intended <laughs> yeah but and there, because that's the thing that can't be taken away by by what i do like you could take my my hands my eyes my legs right like my circumstances could could go to hell but like but i do believe that in all of that like i am actually loved it, like each of us in our deepest innermost being our, our actual identity is that we're beloved daughters and sons of god mm. to me that's like who we are on an identity level. And, and that's actually how I make it through this world. Mm. <laughs> like that's how I can, uh, that's how I can navigate the, the traumas that come up, the, the hard things is because I actually trust and believe that undergirding all of that is love. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think about is I, I don't think you're talking about, you know, a cheap, sappy, sentimental version of love that, that this is, I don't want to speak for you. How, how would you define love and, and the type of love that you are referring to when you're connecting it to the sacred, to the divine? Now, that's a great question. I mean, I see it as a love that is committed through whatever comes, right? Mm. Like that's how I think of, for example, love with my wife. Sure. Right? Like this is, you know, in sickness and in health, like through hell or high water, like we're staying together. And that's a, a love that's, it's not about feelings. Like it's a lot deeper than that. It's a commitment. And it, right. and so 
that's on a human level, like the closest I can come mm. to that. Right. But it's also like a love for a parent, like a parent would have for a child. It's the sense of like, you could do a whole lot of awful stuff and, and like, I'm with you. Like I'm your, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, like, and by the way, like I love you, not based on your performance, not based on mm. what you do, what you have, whether you succeed or fail or all these like human, I think those are all human constructs, sure. but like, I love my children on a level that's like going to, be there regardless of, of what, of what comes. Right. And regardless of their behavior. I mean, again, like all of our kids, like they, you know, they do stuff that we prefer they don't. And <laughs> that's to put it very lightly. Right. Yeah. And, and yet like that doesn't reduce our love for right. them. Right. Right. And, and in some ways, like, again, when you navigate hard things with your kids, like it actually deepens your love for them. Mm. Um, and so that, that to me, so when I, when I think when to go back to your question, sure. I mean, I had an experience many years ago now where I was wrestling with quite a lot of insecurities and in particular, they were insecurities around what other people thought of me. Okay. Right. And as I was wrestling with that and it was, it's a long story that how I got to this um, experience, but, and it was actually through some group spiritual direction that we were a part of on this particular day. And, and in wrestling with those things and the groups kind of sat and listened to the spirit on my behalf. And then this really wise woman, she looked me in the eye and she said, when you know that you're a beloved son of God, you are free to make mistakes Mm. and you're free for people to be mad at you and you're free to take risks and you're free to play. And she kept going on this list of things that I was free to do. And so like that statement, right? When you know you're a beloved son of God, you're free. That for me has been and again, this is all like stuff that I knew in my head, but like sure. I had to have that moment to actually have it sink in on this level where I could really believe it or like yeah. it could be like part it's almost of like you had to have that experience in your lived reality. Absolutely. In order to and and by the way, like I think I had to go on this identity journey. Like that mm. moment was a place where like all of this identity journey that I had been on kind of came together. And and I realized like, okay, my identity is not what other people think of me. Mm. My identity is actually that I'm a beloved son of God. Mm. And by the way, the other word that's key in that sentence is when, because I forget this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's when I know that, then I'm free. But wh- the thing is, I don't remember that all the time. And so I have to be reminded like 10 times a day <laughs> that that's the truth. Oh, sure. And so I'll, I'll be thinking about it. Like, we'll have this awesome conversation. And then, you know, half an hour from now, I'll be driving home and, and I will have forgotten all about this and I'll be caught up in my stress of today sure. and, and, you know, the things I have to do next. And it's like... I have to be reminded, you know, and so I, I feel like that's where, you know, and very often this is where, again, creation comes comes into play. Like this is for me like where where pigeons and butterflies and mm. these these like little flashes of beauty will remind me that I am loved, mm. right? They will remind me of my deep identity and I'll go, okay, like even with whatever I'm wrestling with, whatever the stress of the day is or that, you know, challenging thing that I'm walking through, like when I'm when I'm grounded on that love, like I can make it through. I love it, man. One of the reasons I enjoy poetry so much is that it's a little reminder to me of the truth of some of these things. Just like you said, you you have to be reminded of the truth of your identity. I love poetry so much because it's a it's a very creative and beautiful medium that helps remind me of the truth of myself, the truth of others, the truth of this, you know, thing that we call existence on this planet. Yeah. 
in, in, in light of that, if I can, I'd like to read another poem from this collection. I think it's called Praying. <laughs> and I, I wanted to see what, what you thought about it. So, Dude, I'm laughing because I read that one last night. I'm like, man, we got to read this one <laughs> on the podcast. It's, it's a good one. So, so she says, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. I just love that poem. So when, when, when you hear those words, when you were rereading it last night, what, what strikes you about it? Well, what strikes me is like, we could do a whole podcast of just reading Mary Oliver and like keeping our own traps shut because like <laughs> she's way more profound than we can be. Agreed 150,000%. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is just such a profound moment right like she's saying like it doesn't even have to be the beautiful flower it could be some weeds in a vacant lot i mm. mean what do we say the concrete jungle like yeah the beauty is all around us it's the and face it, of the homeless person yeah it and it's everywhere and if we just pay attention like just pay attention and then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate like this isn't a contest but it's a doorway into gratitude into thanks mm. and a silence in which another voice may speak and that's what to go back to like spiritual direction sure like that's what we're talking about is this paying attention and this invitation to the to encounter the divine and again it can happen in the concrete jungle it can happen in the vacant lot it can happen with the blue rivers i mean that's gonna catch your attention probably more than the weeds but i mean i had this i had this happen to me on the freeway a, a, a few months back we, you know, I stopped like the traffic backed up and, you know, that's always like stressful, right? You're like oh, trying, yeah. trying to move, but the, especially if you live in Houston, <laughs> right? Well, it happens a lot in Houston, but, <laughs> but it's always like, you're trying to get somewhere and the traffic stops and I look over to my left and right there on the, in the concrete was this like flowering vine. Oh man. It was like purple flowers. And I was able to like, I had, you know, I was stopped enough on the freeway. I pulled out my phone and snapped a picture of it. And it was like, I love it. This is it. This is what Mary Oliver's talking about. And it was this reminder, like stuck in traffic that like, Paul, you're loved. Like there is beauty here, mm. even in this moment, right? In, in the, the course of, of the city, like love is here. Like beauty is here. Mm. Oh, I love that. You know, just to make a couple connections, I, I, I think I might've shared this story, uh, on a previous episode, I, I interviewed a, a therapist that's a like a like a nature therapist, an ecotherapist, and I guess I, I I like to think about the divine and the sacred, you know, in sort of these darker ways or these ways that maybe aren't always as positive. And uh, from some of my thinking and studying on like something like stoicism, which I think is also present in various aspects of Christianity, there's this idea of memento mori or being mindful of death. Of, of not running away from our decay and just our finite existence. And I remember just going for a jog. I, I try to run in the mornings and there was a squirrel right right in front of me that, that had died, probably gotten run over by a, a car. And, you know, almost intuitively, instinctually, I wanted to turn away because I don't want to look at something that's died. But there was this part of me that's like, no, just just linger with that image. Just look at it for a little bit, not as a morbid thing, but just as a way to be in contact with that side of nature, with that side of the sacred, 
that 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 even death is a piece of what we're experiencing here on earth and so i i guess i can't agree more with mary oliver that the point is to maybe slow down and just pay attention and fall into some kind of silence so that we can be in a greater connection with the sacred yeah and silence holds space mm. right and and for me my encounters with god often come in spaciousness Right, like I, I've got to have some margin, like for me to actually be able to hear and listen, um, and and so and I've also got to be quiet, right? Like that's where I mean I've been doing a, a lot of centering prayer mm. in my daily routine for a while now, and it and that centering prayer is like it's a silent prayer. Like I'm not saying any words. I'm actually trying to like release the words and like rid the words because yeah. I'm actually just holding space for the spirit of God to do something to me that's not about words, and I'm not I can't even consciously wrap my mind around it, you know. But so that, yeah, I think that silence is, is a crucial part of encountering the divine. And yeah, so, so holding space is another kind of thing. And so to go back to the squirrel though, on the, on the road, like, uh, certainly death is part of the rhythm of life. Right. And, and I'm not, um, I don't want to belittle death because I mean, it's, it's really, scary i think for all of us and sure. certainly for those who are bereaved like it's 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 very present um but i'm but i'm also like not afraid of death mm. in in a way that like and and frankly you know i feel informed by my faith for that and sure, so that's where sure. like my faith I, and and so and yet like the like the squirrel like that's again cycle of life right like if if um i don't know it, I don't think that squirrel's going to get wasted, right? Like mm. probably what's going to come along, like a, a vulture's going to fly in and get his share. I love that. Or, and, and then the ants are going to pick the bones dry. Like this is assuming somebody doesn't just throw it in the trash, right? Hopefully hopefully a fly tire gets in there and gets the tail before, uh, you know, it, it gets, it, 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 it goes this way. But, but like, there I love is this, that, Paul. That's so good. Um, there, there is a, um, you know, like even, you know, it, for example, to go back to fishing, right? Like I practice catch and release most of the time. I will, I will keep a fish occasionally to eat, but, but even if we, you know, I've heard people on fishing podcasts, which is most of what I listen to. Okay. Um, you know, people will wrestle with this idea of like, Oh, I caught this fish and then it, you know, it, it went belly up or something. It died when I tried to release it. Like Mm. they're wrestling with like the ethics of that. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, the ospreys need to eat too. Right, like the turtles need to eat too. That's good. Like this fish is not wasted. I mean, again, none of us want like the fish we're releasing to die. But I mean, I've had friends. You know, they're fishing offshore and they release a fish, and a shark just comes up and pounds it, and it's like, oh man, that stinks. Well, I mean, sharks need to eat too. Mm. Like, like th- there's again, we go back to like we were talking about earlier with the, the the gazelles and the lions and stuff. I mean, there's like predation. Like this is part of the the cycle of life. Yes, and. And I think there's a there's beauty in that, right? Like I, I, I really think hold a, a very I think there's beauty seasonal, in that. I really hold I, I hold a very seasonal mm. image of life, and I mean to me, seasons are really profound. Like winter, spring, summer, fall, and some of them are much shorter. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or morning, evening, noon. You know, like our sure. cycles. Like we're, we have we have little seasons going all the time, and some mm. of them are much bigger seasons, and then we have seasons that are much longer, more extended. Um, but I like that. So I, I use images of seasons in the spiritual journey 
in, in, you know, I think grief is a seasonal journey. I could chase that rabbit for days. Um, but, but I think death is just part of like the, the cycle of life in some ways. And And I don't mean that to belittle our life, but, but actually, because I don't believe that death is the end of us. Like, I'm not afraid of that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's profound. And by the way, like, I do think a lot of our human um, struggles, challenges are are part of our, like, running from death, right? Or trying to delay it or trying to, uh, you know, put it off at all costs, that kind of thing. I mean, I think so much of, of our human um, challenge and conflict and everything else that like comes comes out of that struggle Absolutely. whereas like if we what does it look like to befriend death mm. you know like have you ever read tuesdays with maury no i haven't oh that book is so profound and this is a it's a picture of this guy dying well wow. and i would just encourage i mean five stars like everybody should read tuesdays with maury because it's this this guy's dying i mean he's got terminal illness and this other guy comes alongside him and visits him every Tuesday mm. until, you know, kind of through the last season of his life. And it's so profound and beautiful because Maury is like, he's not afraid of it. Like he actually has like befriended death and he's dying well and he's putting all his relationships in order. And like, it is such a beautiful, profound picture of what it looks like, a totally alternative mm. vision of like facing death. Yeah. And so, geez, I love that. Okay, I'm about to check that out. Yeah. It's great I, I, I know over the years I've, I've heard about it. I think they maybe even made it into a movie or a TV series. Could be. Okay. But, I, but I'll have to start with the book. That's, was, those was, are usually better. Yeah. I remember reading it in seminary and it was part of a class that I hated that class. But the best thing about the class was the book. And was, it was, was like it book. was one of the books that was assigned Got for that you. Class. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I, I know, man, this is, I could talk about Mary Oliver and poetry all day long. Um, I, I know at some level, I, I did want to kind of jump into just how you think about fly fishing. And I'm, I'm not even sure how to ask it from a religious point of view. I don't think that's quite right. Um, I know we kind of read this article together uh, from, I think his name is Samuel Snyder. It's it's religion and fly fishing. I, I, I could take us down different paths in terms of different questions, but maybe I'll just start by asking what is the relationship between how you understand your faith and your passion for fly fishing? And, and maybe we can kind of see where that goes. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, that article that you alluded to, you sent it to me like five months ago, and I read it right when you sent it. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and it's been a while. So I, and, I didn't and, refresh and, on it. Before, and, and I only read today. it this week, so... <laughs> That's hilarious. So we'll, we may leave that one off to the side. Well, but in terms of my passion for it, I mean, so my journey has been that, you know, as a kid, like I went fishing with my grandfather and it just some of my most beautiful childhood memories. Like I just, was it, was it fly fishing? No, not okay. yet. Not, I mean, most of us are going to start off with like a bobber and a worm. And that okay. was certainly my experience too. And, uh, but the same grandfather, I mean, so I, I love fishing as a kid. And I didn't get to do it as often as I would have liked. I went a little bit with an uncle, um, but I would visit my grandfather in the summer. Uh, he lived in Nebraska, and he would take us okay. up. My grandparents would would take us up to either Minnesota or we'd fish in Nebraska or we'd go out to Wyoming. And and some of those summer experiences fishing with my grandfather were um, just really, yeah, just some core childhood memory. I mean, it was just fun. Mm. And, and I just had – and so even as a kid, though, I would get like – 
the Bass Pro Shops catalog and I would just read it like cover to cover. And, nice. and, and so it was like filling my brain, you know, mm. and, and it was, it was a fun thing that I loved to do, but I didn't get to do it as often as I, as I would like, which is still true of my life today. Um, so then probably in high school age, we, we find, so my grandfather took us out to Wyoming and the first time we've been out there, we, he taught us how to fish with like a, a cane pole and worms to catch these trout in these little streams. And then the next time we were a little older, we went out there and, and he taught us to fly fish. And so like while we were doing that, he would fly fish. And I remember seeing him do it. And then, and then he did, he taught us how to do it. And I, I just loved it, you mm-hmm. know? And I did a little bit more kind of in those high school years, a little bit in college. And then, you know, after college, you know, got married, moved to Houston, a long way from any trout um, <laughs> and, and kind of went through a pretty extended season of not fishing very much at all. Mm. And, um, just life was, you know, life was full, all, all kinds of other commitments. Um, but I, but I always loved it. Right. And a few years back now, um, I, I just kind of re rekindled that passion. Mm. And, uh, at one point, do you know who Dan Allender is? Yeah. So Dan Allender, I was doing some training uh, up in Seattle with with the Allender Center. And at one point I heard him say, he said, fly fishing saved my life. Wow. He's talking about himself. And when he said that, it felt like, felt like permission. Mm. It felt like this invitation back to that and, and really to self-care, right? Because that's what he's talking about. I mean, he, you know, gotcha. he, he's a psychologist. He's sitting with people with trauma all the time. And, and for him, like fly fishing is part of his self-care. Well, it, it, since then, and that was, that was several years ago at this point, but it, it's kind of become my self-care. Like, again, as a caregiver, as somebody who sits with people in crisis and in grief, like I've got to take care of myself. Sure. And, and I've realized in recent years, like my self-care is not selfish, right? It's actually vital to even getting to function in a healthy way myself. Yes. And so, so if you really ask me, Paul, what do you want to do? You you get a free day. What do you want to do? I'm like, if I'm being honest, I want to go fishing. Mm. Like that's what I want to do. And so there's this there's this connection with creation. Mm. Like there's this and and literally like in the tug of a fish, right? Like there's a connection. Like there's this connection. Like life on life. Like you're 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 wrestling with this thing. And you know, it depends on the size of the fish, whether it's sure. big or small. But it kind of doesn't matter. Like. And, you know, in fishing worlds, they'll say, like, the tug is the drug, right? Like, like <laughs> I like that. There is this, but there's this connectedness to, like, another life, to to creation, to the beauty. Um, and then there's this, it fills me with gratitude. Like, mm. when, I'm, when I'm fishing, for one thing, it helps me be really present in the moment, right? So it's like this invitation to be fully present, to be right there. Like, I'm not thinking about anything else. Like, mm. it, it's this... And then there's gratitude. Like if I actually catch a fish, which again, I'm well acquainted with not catching fish, but occasionally it'll happen. And when it happens, like there's gratitude, there's gratitude to the fish itself. There's gratitude to God. There's gratitude to whatever friend like told me about that place to go. There's gratitude to, you know, the, the somebody who told me to use that fly or that lure or whatever I'm using. And like, it just, this, it just wells up in me, these, these beautiful things. And there's, also, um, oh man, I totally forgot what I was going to say. I hate when that happens. I but, hate but, when that happens. But, but I bet it's going to come back. So, but okay, so let, let me ask you this question as, as you're talking, I'm wanting to maybe, you know, go back to a, a previous comment you made where you talked about just being enthralled with the mystery. 
And that's one of the themes that the article gets into a little bit is fly fishing as an encounter with a type of mystery or with an unknown, with um, elements that aren't in your control. Could you could you maybe speak to that if that resonates with your experience at all? Yeah, absolutely. There is there's a real well fly fishing in particular. It, as opposed to other types of fishing, right. which I'll do any type of fishing. Okay. Like put, put a rod in my hands, I'm happy. But I have gravitated <laughs> toward fly fishing a little more recently because there's a real aesthetic to it. There's mm. a, like a beauty to it. There's a uh, a finesse to it. it. It is more challenging, right? So it's self-limiting in some ways. Sure. I mean, you can go out with live bait and catch a hell of a lot more fish than I'm going to catch with a fly rod. <laughs> right. But... But there's so much more satisfaction in actually mm. catching a fish on a fly rod, and there's certain situations where a fly rod is actually the most effective way to fish. But uh, but that's going to be be rare. Um, but there's a so that aesthetic is certainly a, a key part of the experience. But to go to, to your question about mystery, it has struck me that like fishing is every cast is an act of hope, mm. right? Like it's an embodied hope. Like you don't throw your your lure or your fly out unless you think you might catch something, right? Like you're not going to go throw it in a rain puddle. Right. right. But like, but like if there's, there might be fish there mm. and that's a lot of times the mystery. Now, sometimes you can see the fish and that's the best when you're sight casting, but that's rare. And, but, but there's this, so the mystery is kind of like, maybe there's a fish there, mm. right? Like I'm re am I reading this situation, right? Like there's the current seam, the fish might be, I think I know where a fish might be sitting, let me see if I can put my fly in a place that it drifts down to where a fish should be. And when that connects, right now you've connected to the mystery. Like you've connected, I love you've, that. you've put the pieces together. And there's a certain, there's a real satisfaction in using the right fly, you know, drifting it just right and getting a connection to a fish. I mean, there's a satisfaction in just like putting the pieces together and, and getting a fish to eat, right? Like you fooled this thing. And I understand they've got pretty small brains, but like, you you've made this um yeah you 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 put all the pieces together you have the uh, the mystery is often when you can't see fish and yet you're you're casting out hope mm -hmm. like to this unknown thing to see i, I think that's such a powerful metaphor i love that and you know and you, because and it's also i mean it's really embodied like it's participatory right like you my grandfather would always tell me like you can't catch fish unless your lines in the water right like if you're just out in the boat and your your rods you're, if your line's not in the water, you're not catching fish. I mean, you have to participate in the mystery in order to connect, mm. right? Man, I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing up this concept of embodiment. I know this could be a whole different episode, but uh, just, just recently, for very personal reasons and just thinking about my own therapeutic approach and wanting to to learn more about different sort of strategies, I've been thinking about the importance of just embodiment, especially embodiment for men, because I think this is one of the things that happens with whether we call it toxic masculinity or rigid masculinity. I think we're often disconnected from our bodies. And I'm I'm reading this phenomenal book by someone named Hillary McBride, who's amazing. Um, I can't recommend this book enough for any guy, for anyone out there. I think it's called The Wisdom of the Body. And um, I, I think I even saw that your church did a series on just embodiment or the body and uh, I, I guess to tie it all together, I, I wondered how embodiment plays into the experience of fly fishing from your perspective. Yeah, great question. I know my wife loves that book. Okay. I have yet to read it myself. But oh, it's good. I, I have uh, 
told other people about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. no, I've done that before. Recommended a book that I no, never but, read. Again, and my wife has read it. So this is not, this is not blind. Um, but yeah, so, and my wife's a big fan of Hillary McBride and uh, she's, yeah, she's really solid. I do think, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, you know, part of my own journey has been about getting connected to my body. Gotcha. And honoring my body, like validating the, like what my body needs is goodness, right? And care, mm. you know, like, like wearing good socks. Like you see these. Yeah, no, I've, wool. I've been staring at them. They look well, very comfortable. Like, yeah. These are, these are like wool socks. And, and I remember the day that I was, so can I just tell a, a, the backstory of all this? Please. So I was up at the Allender Center in Seattle and well, this is a really long story. I won't tell all of it, but there was a, they, they did this moment where they asked us to check in with our bodies mm. and they, and we started with our feet. So we put our feet flat on the floor and they were like, how are your feet today? And I, and I kind of felt in my shoes and I was like, Oh, I'm wearing my good socks. Mm. And, and my feet were really comfortable. And I realized, so I had these pretty, you know, some nice wool socks, but I, I only ever wore them, Kike, when I was traveling. Mm. Like I like saved these socks for, and I was up in Seattle, and so I had traveled up there, and I had brought the good socks, and and it, it, I realized that day I was like, I should wear good socks more often. I like that. And I went out and I got like a drawer full of good socks, and now every day, like I put on good socks, and it's a really simple everyday thing, but like it is. My, I mean, before this, I was like cheap white cotton sock guy. <laughs> and like, not only did they look horrible, they also felt horrible. Like they're mm. thin and they don't treat your feet well. And now I got like my merino wool socks and my feet feel good mm. every day. And by the way, like I got to take care of my feet. If I'm on my feet all day, Absolutely. Like, like if my knees and my feet go out, then I'm done. Right. Yeah. But when I take care of my feet, like my whole body's good. I love that. And by the way, like for me to like, get to the point of believing that I was worthy of that. Mm. Like I didn't need to wear just like the cheapest socks I could get. Like I tend to be a cheapskate in particular with self care. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Enneagram. Sure. What, like, what number are you? I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram two. And, okay. And as a two, like we tend to be cheapskates, especially around the areas of self care. Right. <laughs> so for me to just acknowledge like, no, I'm actually worthy of, expensive socks like good Mm. socks and good shoes and like taking care of my body and by the way the later lesson was like i'm actually worthy of investing in my fishing gear right like like Mm. and granted i have to save some money for it because i I can't just spend money i don't have but like sure but like actually in saying no i I can get some good stuff and Mm. i can save up some money and get a nice fly rod that i can use for decades and pass on to my kids and like i'm actually worthy of that Right. And I don't need to just go find the cheapest fly rod I can find out there. Like I can actually get a decent one. Mm. And so those have been like some self care things that have been really embodied, you know? And yeah, I love that. Um, and so to, to go, yeah, I mean, and, and fly fishing is embodied. I mean, you know, you're, you're literally like you're getting to do it. Like this isn't spectator, you know? I, I, I do listen to a bunch of fishing podcasts, but that's okay what I do when I can't be, when I, when I can't go fishing, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, <laughs> sure. it's a way to think about fishing to get you pumped up. Yeah. To get me pumped up. Um, but, but a better thing is to go fishing, right? Like to yeah, actually do to it, actually to, do to it. embody it, to, to step into the moment and, and get out there. Right. And do oh, it. I love it. Do you find that 
the, the little that I do know about fly fishing, I, I feel like there's certain postures and rhythms and even the way that one casts that that requires almost a, a certain choreography or just, just a way that you move your body. Is, is that... It, does that resonate at all with you? Is, is is that a part of the experience? Yeah, I mean the the casting is yeah, it's rhythmical and it, and it's like I said, it's there's a there's an aesthetic beauty to it, right? Mm. And if you've seen like a river runs through it with Brad Pitt, you know I haven't. In the article, it mentioned it several times. Like, man, I gotta watch that. Well, it's a great movie. Okay, it, but but the what's funny is like the the casting that that guy does in that movie is that's not realistic casting. It's right? not realistic. Like Hollywood, okay. it's Hollywood casting. <laughs> And but I mean it, it, aesthetically, it's a it's a gorgeous film. It's really profound. It's it's you know relationally uh, moving. Mm. Uh, it's a great book uh, as well. And okay, um, I didn't realize it was a book as well. Yeah, it, the movie's based on a book. That's, okay, that's really awesome. But anyway, and and within the fly fishing world, like that movie came out in the nineteen nineties. And and by the way, like it has to be said, I was into fly fishing before the movie came out. Got you. So the movie because, didn't get you into it. No, it didn't because <laughs> like the, literally the fly fishing industry is like before the movie and after the movie because okay. that movie got like hundreds of thousands of people into fly fishing uh, and, and the industry has, you know, it's still a niche small industry, but it has, it has like extrapolated boomed since then. Right. Mm-hmm. And then COVID on top of that, like it, it's even grown even bigger because people had to, what were they going to do? They couldn't do the normal thing. So they all right. got outside and, and they all get into fishing. Um, which again, it's good for the industry that that's all well and good, but, sure. um, so yeah, that, that movie is definitely like kind of a, a seminal turning point within fly fishing culture in the United States. Um, but I remember seeing it in college and just absolutely loving that movie. But so there is, but there is an aesthetic to go back to your, your actual question. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's a rhythm to it. And, and I mean, just to you know, speak to the difference between like fly fishing and conventional fishing. Like with conventional fishing, you have like a heavy lure on the mm. end of a thin line and you, you know, you, in your cast, you, you swing it out there and the lure is pulling the line out. Right. right. So if you've ever gone fishing, that's probably what you've done. Fly fishing is the opposite. You have like a light fly or light, light lure and the line. So in order to deliver this light fly, you actually need a heavy line to carry it out there. So the line, you, so you're, you're basically throwing a loop of line that's unfurling and then it's got a leader on the end, like a thin line that's got the fly on the end of that and you're rolling it out and delivering it to the fish. So, gotcha. so you've got to, you've got to use the rod to kind of throw loops sort of forward and back. You usually have to go behind you to, in order to go forward. Okay. Um, that's kind of a, a conventional cast. There's all sorts of other casts that you can do uh, as you get into the nuances of it, but that those are the basics. So you're, so, so there is, but there's a certain timing, right? Like you've got to like pop to a stop. And if you, you go too far one way you're going to just thwap the ground and if you go the other way like you know so i mean it, it takes practice i mean you can't just go out and and do it in without any without any training or without gotcha. like a lesson or two or you know getting getting a friend to help you kind of thing okay gotcha now i i know even how we got reconnected was me finding your instagram where you highlight the different flies that you're, I don't know how to say, creating, tying, constructing. And I was hoping you could speak to that, whatever comes to mind, because they're quite beautiful, these things that you're creating. And and maybe you could reflect on how that connects to your sense of religion or spirituality or your identity, if if there's something kind of deeper there in in your activity creating these flies. 
Well, that has been a, another layer to this whole journey okay. has been the, the adding the fly tying to the fly fishing. And, uh, and it's become, I've just been into it for a couple of years now and, okay. and it's become like a really creative pursuit and, and tying would be the right verb, right? Like okay. you're, you're literally like taking a bear hook and you're tying on whatever materials you're using, you know, feathers, fur, various things to kind of create each different fly. Um, and, and there is, yeah, I mean, they're, they are beautiful, right? And there's certainly uh, people a lot more talented than me who, who have gone before, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm just, you know, I'm kind of a hack, but, but it, they, you know, there's some cool stuff that comes out. And so I appreciate your encouragement. Yeah, but, no, they're amazing. Um, I, I just can think of all the other Instagram, you know, channels I watch that are so much far, farther beyond me. Um, but yeah, the, there is, I mean, I, I think as, as human beings, like I do believe we are creative beings. Like, like we're, mm. we're actually made in the image of a creator God, like the one who's made us has made us to create and we get to co-create. Like, I think that's part of our role on this earth. And, mm. and so there is a, and again, it's not something that I've done enough of until recently, you know? Okay. So the poetry has been a little bit of that. Um, and actually <laughs> haven't written much poetry in recent years because I've been into fishing and I've been tying uh, flies. So, but, but it has been my creative pursuit at least for the last couple of years. And, and it, it's just been a, it's made me a better fisherman for sure because I have, yeah, how so? Well, just figuring out like what, what do the fish want to eat and mm. you know, how do you, how do you make that? And it's mostly imitation, you know, Oh, this guy tied that fly. Let me tie it. Let me watch his YouTube video and figure out how he did that. Sure. And then and then tie that, and then you get to the point where you start to create your own new things, or you make variations off of a theme, you know, and and you get to create something new yourself, and and so that I mean that whole thing is just it's life giving, like just mm. for lack of a better, you know, I mean I think it's and and then so then even putting it on Instagram is like all right, this is cool for me, but like I want to share this, like I want to put it out to the world. So I had like a private Instagram Absolutely. account, but then it's like no, I I can't share them on there and have everyone see it. So. And and it has actually built community, right? Like so, putting it out wow. there, and and you know, you found me. The reason yeah. we're having this conversation is because absolutely. Of that, right? I had another friend who I, I sent in a question to uh, the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast, which is probably the best fishing podcast out there. Okay, and and a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in like twenty years, he heard me ask the question on that podcast, and he looked me up. And he found me and then we reconnected. Oh, that's and, so cool. And we've even got to go fishing together. Wow. And like, and he's actually one of my uh, inspirations with respect to flying. So shout out to Drew Day at, at underscore day, underscore fly, underscore three underscores. Um, but, but his, I mean, <laughs> if, you, that. if you think my stuff is beautiful, like you should check, Just out check him out. Okay. <laughs> Instagram because you know, anyway, he's a brilliant tire, but he's a good friend. And, and we reconnected just through, through that medium. But, I love that. but the, so there is this sense of community, right? And that's the other thing I would say as far as fishing is like, you know, we all joke about like fishing stories, right. And like how, you know, fishermen always exaggerate and all this stuff, but, but there is this importance of like telling the story of the catch mm. that is like, a, it's, a, it's actually like an important piece of the whole experience. So whether it's, you know, putting on Instagram or whether it's actually sitting around with, with a friend and having a drink and like getting to tell the story, you know, I will often like, if I've gone fishing for the day, I'll jump in my car. And that's when I call my brother who li he, li mm. he lives in Wyoming. And it's like, I got to call my, and it, you know, if he has time and he can answer, it's like, man, I, I just, I'm driving back from fishing. Let me tell you what happened, you know? And like there, so there's this, and, and actually this author I love named James Kilgo, he, he, he writes about, um, this, 
this idea of a song feast and it comes out of Ooh, like, like a, that. like a first people's tradition. Like, you know, in, in this book was written in the nineties. So he calls them Eskimos, but like, but like this tradition of like the hunters would it, as a way of honoring the animal that they've killed, mm. they would sit around the campfire and they would sing the song of the hunt. Right. And so he tells a story in this, this awesome book called deep enough for ivory bills. And, and it's all about hunting and fishing and kind of the relationships of men that form in these hunting clubs and in these fishing cl- clubs and how they get together and they just tell their stories. And this song feast idea to me, I'm like, that's, that's what I'm actually doing on Instagram. I mean, it's, it's a much wow. shallower version of it, but it's this, Great. it's this invitation into saying like, in like, tell the story of that fish that you caught, you know, like, like we, cause I think as, as fisher, as anglers, as fishermen, like a part of it for me is, it is that, that communal connection that mm. I'm, that I'm also yearning for, right? Like sure. I'm yearning for like a good fishing buddy. Right. And there's, there's friends that I, you know, when I see them, what do we talk about? We talk about fishing, you know, and like we, we connect over that in some ways that's really profound, but, um, and, and, you know, certainly my brother and I have a relationship that's much deeper than that, but he's one of those people that I can call and it's like, Oh, tell me about, you know, tell me about that catch or, you know, sending, sending each other pictures and stuff like that. So, um, I, I think the storytelling aspect of it is, is a crucial kind of communal piece of this whole fly fishing endeavor. I love that. And that's such an important facet of what it means to be human, re- different religions across time, narrative and story, different texts, sharing that with others has, has been such a crucial component. So gosh, that's a great connection. I, I, I guess, but before we sign off, is, is there anything else from your own life, from your experience with religion, with fly fishing that you would want to share that you'd want to just throw out there to any of the listeners? Well, it's funny in, in talking about the fishing thing, like a lesson I've learned, I talked about how, you know, living in Houston, we're a long way from any trout, right? And that's my heart yeah. would, would ultimately be fly fishing for trout, like on a mountain stream somewhere. Okay. But, but the, the, we don't have very many trout anywhere near here. So I finally learned after living in Houston for like 20 years, like if you can't, <laughs> if you can't fish the one you love, fish the one you're with. Oh. And so that's where I've started fishing for like the local stuff. And I've actually started, you know, saltwater fishing and, and fishing for, you know, carp and bass and like the, the closer fish that are actually right here. And when I can go fish for trout, that's awesome. But but that idea that like, no, just be where you're planted, you know, like, okay, so maybe you can't do your, your, you know, again, I can't go trout fishing nearly as much as I would like. And when I get to, it's always a, a deep joy, but like, I can still do it here. You know, I can go carp fishing in the bayou, in the concrete jungle of the bayou. Man, I love and, it. And those things are actually harder to catch than trout. You really? Know? And like, I still have yet to catch a carp in Houston, in the bayou. Like I've tried many times but i still haven't caught one i mean these things are actually pretty finicky so like the so like bloom where you're planted bloom where you're planted yeah like like don't don't give up on so i think this is what i'm saying like don't give up on the dream just because it's not like you can't so for years i didn't actually fly fish because i thought i was so far from the fish right and it's like no i can do it like here and i don't need to to fly to the mountains to go do it you know i love it so um I don't know. That, that's one little thing that I, I've been, but that's been part of my self care has, sure, been, has been sure. just, just getting into it here. I, I feel like that has a lot of connections in different aspects of life. You know, as you, as you were talking, I guess one of the questions I have for you is, I guess when it comes 
to fly fishing and maybe just fishing in general i i've i've heard from some of course the goal if i could put it that way is to catch a fish but so many people describe just the process or the act of fishing as enjoyable in and of itself not that there aren't frustrations when you don't catch anything but i wonder if there's something there of spiritual or religious value that just doing it being present I hesitate to say going through the motions because that has negative connotations, but I think there is something to just embodied practice and, and different movements that in and of themselves are valuable, regardless of what the outcome is. It, it, does that resonate with you at all? It definitely does because, again, I'm well acquainted with not catching fish. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day out, whether or not I catch fish is is a good day. So without question, I mean, because you have to like get into a certain mindset to kind of ensure that that's the perspective that you take. Yeah. Because again, it's, it's like, how do we measure ourselves? Right. Like, Mm. am I, am I measuring myself based on like the number of fish I catch or am I measuring myself based on like the number of cool pictures I can put on Instagram? Right. You know, is it about that or is it actually about connecting to creation, connecting to myself like saying in some ways saying yes to myself to say, mm. no, no, you, you can take this time to go fishing. Sure. There's other stuff you, you know, other responsibilities to do, but like, it's okay to say yes to what you actually want to go do, which is to go fishing. And so that act in of itself is important for my soul and my body. And then, yeah, like if I catch fish, that's gravy. Like that's a bonus. That's the, the, you know, icing on top. Now I, like I would, it. I would say that cake is a vehicle for icing so the icing on top is is pretty important right like sure if i I never caught fish i I probably would give this up okay but but, yeah fair fair you know but again i I talk about having not caught any carp in in the bios of houston i mean i've tried a number of times and and been unsuccessful but those each of those endeavors like i've learned something you know so like if you just have this growth mindset if you have this like mindset that's like okay this is not about a comparing myself with others right it's not about that Mm. it's not about and and again this is so easy to say on the couch on a podcast because when i'm in the stream right like right and and if there's another fisherman i mean you know i had this experience last summer i was i was in utah and it was like i was having a rough day i was fishing this river and i wouldn't catch anything and then here comes this guy along the bank right and i could just feel like the shame setting in oh yeah because i was like here you know all of a sudden now there's an audience and it's like oh because again, I, I can very easily slip back into like what, what a what masculine moment think. though with right. performance. Yeah. And 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 so I could I could feel just this like, oh, you know. And and by the way, then I caught a fish like while that guy was like within eye shot. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes like, okay, I'm now, a man. Now I'm a man. Now, you know, now I'm validated. Like I now I can I'm worthy of being in this stream, you know. But like so so we definitely have those moments, right? Like we we can we can wrestle with all the human stuff on the stream just as much as we can you know, in our cars or in our relationships, in our houses, you know, like, like sure. we, we go with us when we go, when yeah. we go to the stream. And, and yet, I mean, another perfect example of like, so that was an example of, you know, a, a shame moment, but I went fishing a month or so ago and half an hour in, I broke my fly rod mm. and I was totally okay. Like I happened to have a second rod in the car. So that helped. Right. I had actually driven out to the Guadalupe river. I drove, Woke up at 3 a.m., drove three hours out because <laughs> those are the closest trout to Houston. But I had the day to do it, and and I was I was fishing. And, but I broke my fly rod, and and I could have been like just been like devastated. I could have been really destroyed. But I just felt 
felt really grounded and centered. It was like, you know what? That happened. Let's go back to the car, get the other rod, get a drink of water, you know, mm. reset my reset myself. I was actually able to like pull off a layer, you know, like kind of reset for the day and and go back and fish. And and I ended up like moving on and catching some fish that day. And nice. it, it turned into a great day, even though I broke my fly rod. And so, but there was this sense of like centeredness and groundedness that I was able to have in that moment that that I don't know. Like, like I was able to kind of face the adversity of b- breaking that rod, um, in a way that like just felt. I don't know if this makes it felt life giving. Absolutely. Does, no. Does, does that make sense? So, and, so and it was. It was actually the the struggle, the challenge of all of that 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 made that gave me that moment. Yes, I, I think of two things. I, I I have this quote on my wall. This comes from Marcus Aurelius: "The obstacle is the way," which which is just a way of saying that it's in the hardship and the struggle that you actually find kind of the value and the purpose. But even deeper than that, I, I, I tell people if if I'm interested in spirituality or religion these days at all, it's not as an answer to all these questions or a magical solution to these problems. It's It's now a framework or a path that helps provide some type of meaning or significance for my life. And that includes the darkness, that includes pain, that includes hardships, that includes situations I wouldn't choose, but that I get thrown into to help me grow and expand my soul and help me develop as a person. So that's, that's kind of what I'm getting out of what you were saying. If that resonates with you. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly what I'm talking about. And I think that the reality is like, we all know that we have those experiences. Sure. Right. Like we can't, we can't just fake it and pretend like our life is perfect. I, I, mean, I, I sure can't. <laughs> too, too often that is what Instagram's for is faking it. And, yes. And, you know, putting yes. on this public facing, you know, 100%. everything is great. But, but when we can be real and we can be vulnerable and we can actually engage that darkness, those challenges, right? Like, and we find, Hey, we, we those are the places, <laughs> Those are the places we grow, right? Like Those our, are the places we like grow. Our, our pastor will say, like, you know, nobody ever became a better person by eating chocolate cake. Right? <laughs> like, like you Truth. actually you actually grow through the hard stuff, the challenges. And like that's that's when we actually mature. That's when we become mm. we find out like what we're made of. We find out our strength. We we actually are deepened in those things. You know? And the other line that when you say what a, what do I want to share with people? The other like my favorite phrase comes from this little Catholic prayer book and it's just always we begin again. Mm. And I, I just come back to that over and over. You know, it was like with the fly rod. It's like, well, always we begin again. I got another fly rod in the car. Let's go get that one. You know, it's like a, just a chance to begin again. And and it's kind of like that. I mean, because with fly fishing, like you end up invariably like hook your fly in the trees and you break it off and you have to just retie and, re, you know, so you go through a lot of flies in the course of a day, uh, uh, average fly fishing. Um, and, and, you, you just kind of have to be, it's just part of it, right? Like you have to be willing to like deal with the frustrations, the tangles, I love it. like all of those things that come and, and just always we begin again. See, and to, and to me that speaks to just having a, a, a mindset of this, of a student humility, be, being open to the fact that you don't have it all together. Always begin again. I'm, 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 I'm going to let that seep in. Cause I, I think I try not perfectly by any means. I try to live that out as a human, as a father, as a husband, as a therapist. Yeah. And so that, good. And, and I think it's true in our relationships with ourselves, with God, with our family mm. members. Like, you know, I mean, 
the only way my wife and I've made it 25 years is always we begin again. Mm. <laughs> right. No, that's good. Like that's, we have to, you know, we, we walk through hard stuff and we have to just begin again and begin again and begin again. What a, what a powerful way to describe grace too, I think. Yeah. And that to me is it, you know, it, it, it is that. And it, again, it's, it's this idea, like I said before, like when I know that I'm loved, you know, then I get to begin again. Yeah. And, and I have to be reminded of that. Like, we're forgetful people. We have to be reminded, like, do this in remembrance of me. This is why we do yeah. communion every week at our church is because we have to tell the story and be reminded of mm. that we're loved, of grace, of the, the chance to begin again, of forgiveness and and love on our behalf. Like, we have to tell that story and over there because we forget. And so there's no, like, shame in the forgetting, right? There's no, That's like, beautiful. We don't need to shame ourselves for forgetting. We actually just, when we remember, we go, oh, yeah. We Always we begin again. I had this spiritual director and teacher recently said the returning is the practice, mm. right? He talked about in centering prayer, like you have the centering word and you invariably get distracted like right away. Sure. But then, then you come back to your centering word and, and the centering, the recentering, the returning is the practice. Oh yeah. Like that's it. That's the, so we, we come back to the divine. We come back to the love. We come back to ourselves and this reminder of who we are. Like we, and we have to do that 10 times a day. Right, like there's no, it's no Absolutely. shame in like forgetting. It's just like no, when you remember, you just come back and you, you get to begin again. Mm. Okay, so Paul, will you end with the line of the conversation or the line of the podcast, which is just saying, continue the conversation. I am honored, Kike. Uh, I, I will just can I say one more thing, please, before I say that. Um, so I, I've really enjoyed your podcast and. Uh, you're very prolific. You're cranking out way more episodes than I can actually keep up with (laughs) because I've got my fishing podcast to listen to. But, um, but I love in particular, like what you do with the music Mm. and the podcast and how you, I feel like the music holds space. Yeah. And it, um, it settles me down. Like just even taking a breath. Oh, we got a friend. Yes. We got a pug that's going to join us. The pug's going to join us. Anyway, I'm, uh, yeah. So, I just am grateful for this podcast and I'm honored to uh, continue the conversation. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. I'd love to connect with you. Whether that means you sign up for therapy or you send me an email asking a question or maybe even explore what it would look like to get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is to find me on my website at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. Or you can just Google me. And there you'll find my Instagram, Facebook, 
and Twitter accounts. You can also go to the website of the practice I work at, where I'm the Leeds Men's Counselor. That's katiecounselingformen.com. I hope that you guys are inspired by what we explore today. And as always, continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.